Kia ora. If, you, if I haven't met you, I'm Warren. Um, it's good to be here this morning. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, I was working for the New Zealand police in a speed camera van. I was one of those guys. <laughs> I, um, I had been through uh, basically a burnout, and I'd been nine months on the sickness benefit. I uh, got to a point where I was saying, Lord, what, what, do you, what can I do next? Like the doctor said I should look for some work, and I was trained as a, at Bible college. Like, Psh, I don't know what I can do. Um, but the Lord led me to this job. Um, and it's, if you ever get to a space where you're, just ex- you're burnt out, you've crashed and burned, um, the job in a speed camera van is where God restored me. Uh, I went to work to rest, and came home to give my best. So it was a real blessing, even though people don't like you. Um, one day, I was, I was set up uh, on a real rural road. So you set up the camera, you park, you set up the camera, and then basically you let the camera run two, three, four hours, you put your feet up and read a book. Hard day at the office. So I, that's where I was. I was on a quiet rural road, uh, you'd see a car about every five or ten minutes. So it's peaceful and it's serene. Got a great book. Feet are out. And then smash! This bottle comes through the back window. I tell you what, worse than what you just experienced now, my heart was pumping. My, my senses were alert. Like people call it the, the fight or flight mode. You know, it's, it's survival. It's like everything's alert. Everything's aware. My heart's going boom, boom, boom. And I just, for the next 24 hours, my heart was weird. Like I was just, I reckon when I came into the police department later, or not too much later that day, um, I probably looked like I was on speed or something. Like my eyes were open. I was just like, um, it, was, it was wild. But I introduced with that story because I think this passage we're looking at today in Revelation, I suspect John had a similar experience to some extent. We are working through Revelation. Um, as you'll know, so our pastor Carl and Shah are away on holiday at the moment. Uh, two weeks ago, they led us in the first part of Revelation chapter 1. Last week, uh, John Phillips led us in the second part. And it's my privilege this morning to lead us into the next part. When Carl and John have brought us through those first parts, um, they've set the scene for us with some important things we're just going to remember First important thing is that we have to keep asking, what did Revelation mean to its original hearers? Because it was their situation that God was originally sending this revelation to. And that is the most important question when we're approaching Revelation, is what did God mean for it for its original hearers? Second important thing we pick up from those first couple of sermons in terms of the, the context, was that the church was facing some persecution. They were suffering for holding on to and proclaiming the name of Jesus. And that is an important thing for us to get our mind around. The church is scared. The church is fearful. It's, it's a dangerous time to be a Christian. Um, and that is the situation that this letter is written to. It's, it's, the letter was written approximately 60 years after Jesus had left. 
And so in the face of these struggles, some were beginning to doubt and lose hope. Fear was growing, and so God sent an angel to John to get this message to the churches. In the face of their fear, in the face of the doubt, this is what God wanted the churches to know and to see and to hear. Today, when we come to Revelation, we can ask ourselves, how is our hope in Jesus looking? How is our faith the degree to which we are willing to trust him in all things. How is that looking for ourselves? Through our hard times and through our struggles, do we still trust that Jesus is all that we need? An important question for us before today's passage is what does your Jesus look like? There is only one Jesus. There's only one true Son of God, Jesus. But we each have an understanding of him in our hearts and our minds. From the context of what we've grown up in, where we've heard, what we've seen. Is Jesus our mate? Do we see the baby in the manger? Do we see the crucified Christ? The humble friend of sinners? Do we see the Jesus off the Chosen series or one of the movies? What does our Jesus look like? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the chance to be here this morning. And um, Lord, we come to you praying that you would refine what our understanding of who you are is. Lord, that we would understand you more truly that we would see you more truly, Lord, that we would base our lives around who you are more accurately. Lord, I thank you for speaking to me as I, as I prepared. I pray this morning you speak to us all and draw us nearer to you, Father. Bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today we're looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 16. Um, so feel free to follow in, in your Bible, on your phone, whatever you've got. We'll have it up on the screen in a minute. Um, and we're going to be looking at it in two parts. In verses 9 to 11, John is giving us some context and some um, introductory information, like what's happened, um, just trying to set the scene. And then verses 12 to 16, he's explaining a vision that God has given him. So let's start with verses 9 to 11. Awesome, bro. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatra, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so that's the context for this vision that we're going to be reading next. But let's walk through it a little bit. Let's walk through this context and the situation. This is mostly things that we've heard in the last couple of weeks from Carl and John. 
Okay, they were facing persecution. Check. John was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching about Jesus. Check. This revelation is being sent to seven churches. Check. It's all there, things that we've heard, things that came out previously. And the thing to remember that Carl shared with us is that the number seven is a symbol for completeness, for completion, for perfection. And so the letter was being sent to seven churches, but the number seven actually represented all churches. This letter was for all churches. But let's have a look at verse 10, because there's a couple of things here that are a little bit different. On the Lord's Day, and there's a little bit of discussion about what it means, but essentially what they come to is um, the scholars and commentary writers and stuff, is that it was their day of worship. It was the day that they gathered to worship. So that was his space. He was in a day of worship. He was in a space of worship. He says, I was in the spirit. Reading through, it's basically understood that he was in a state of mind and of spirit where he was especially aware of and open to the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like a trance, wasn't like a transcendental meditation thing, whatever that's called. It was just he was in a stillness in a, in a space and a mind where he was particularly aware of the Holy Spirit and open to hearing from the Holy Spirit. I want us to, as we come to God's Word, I want us to, to bring ourselves to something like that, okay? So if, if you're comfortable, I encourage you to close your eyes. Let's come to a place of stillness and of peace. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. And I heard behind me, I heard a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches. Mel Malcolm uh, sent me the video clip, and we thought there was a little bit of like angelic reference in, in those <laughs> costumes. So, But boom, God has John's attention. From this place of stillness and quiet, the voice is behind him like a trumpet. God has John's attention. His heart is pumping. All of his senses are alert and he's taking in and aware of more than he ever was. Okay, let's go through and we're going to have a look at the next part. He does the obvious thing and it sounds so calm. He says, I, I turned around. I didn't think it was calm. He turned around to see the voice that was speaking to him. 
When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Whoo! Let's go through this again bit by bit. We, um, I must put in a little disclaimer here, probably just as an apology to those who will be listening to the audio afterwards. We're getting a bit of help from PowerPoint. They're not going to see that. Let's have a look at this. Okay, good, good. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. There it is. And his bla- eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. Sorry. Um, His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. Okay, church, this is our Lord. (laughs) But what's important for us to realize is that it isn't actually about what he looks like. It's about what these elements represent. And when we read Revelation, there's lots of confusing images and symbolisms. But to the original readers, this is the thing for us to be clear and understand, is that to the original readers, the symbolism made sense. Okay, if we try and explain to them what a ruck is, they're not going to have any idea. And it's a little bit like us delving into Revelation. Some of the symbolism and imagery, we just don't get it. But the point is it made sense to them. And it was designed as symbolic to avoid suspicion among the Roman authorities. This was a message from God for hope, not one to get them into trouble. And so we see lots of symbolism. But let's look at it again and break it down. So first, there's the seven golden lampstands. It represents the seven churches. Um, We'll see next week, Carl will be doing the end of Revelation chapter 1. And in verse 20, um, John, God through John explains exactly what the seven lampstands are for. And so they are the churches. But we see that they are shining God's glory to the world. 
like a city on a hill. And being golden, they are shown to be valuable. The churches in God's eyes are valuable, precious and pure and indestructible like gold. The next thing we have, among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14, and it talks about the son of man. And it says that he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. I think the cool thing to note is that he is among the seven lampstands. He is among the churches. He is with them. He is with us. He does not abandon his churches. Next, there's the robe down to his feet. This pointed to him being a person of distinction, an important person. Possibly royal, possibly priestly. That's who wore these long robes down to their feet. And the golden sash was a symbol of a royal presence. Next up is his hair. White like wool, as white as snow. Again in Daniel chapter 7, and you may remember if you were here last week, John made reference that so much of the imagery is out of the Old Testament. And the church knew the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 talked about the ancient of days as God. But he sees him as a being with woolly white hair. And the white hair represents wisdom and dignity. Authority and longevity, purity and glory. Bless those of you with white hair. Then there's eyes like a blazing fire. Deuteronomy 4.24 talks about how our God is a consuming fire. He does not tolerate sin. There is righteousness in his eyes, a clarity See, nothing is hidden from his sight. When he comes to judge, he sees and knows all that is true. And he comes to destroy all evil. Next up are feet, like bronze glowing in a furnace. Now, feet symbolize a person's ways, how they travel, how they live. Okay, think through some of the other scriptures. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Their feet aren't beautiful. Their actions are. And the glowing bronze shows strength, glory, and wonder in this person. Next up is the voice like the sound of rushing waters. I imagine being close to the Hooker Falls. You can't hear the person talking next to you. It's, it's mighty, it's majestic, it's deafening and forceful. And to his enemies, it is loud and terrifying. In his right hand was seven stars. Again, Revelation 1 verse 20, the passage we'll look at next week tells us that the stars represent the seven angels of the seven churches. Now, we don't get any more detail um, than that about what these angels are. 
but that they are angels overseeing seven churches. And the right hand symbolizes favor and protection, care. The strong son of man has not abandoned his churches. And ends the sharp double-edged sword coming from his mouth. That can't be comfortable. But this is a terrifying reminder of judgment. We remember Hebrews 4 verse 12. The word of God penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing can escape God's judgment. Nothing can escape what he knows of every intricate part of us. He will speak judgment against all evil. And then there's the face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. It's, it's dazzling, showing holiness and righteousness. I think of um, the Old Testament and when Moses asked God to show him his glory, he says, you can't see it and live. And again, it's a glory that is terrifying to his enemies. This is our Jesus. Are you a little overwhelmed? Because I think that's the point. In the face of trouble and in the face of doubts, the overwhelming Jesus is with us. He is the glorious priest and king. He is wise, eternal, and pure, who judges all things rightly and consumes all evil. He is strong. He is glorious. He is mighty. He is majestic. He favors and protects his churches, and he will bring righteous judgment on all who do evil. He is stunning. He is holy, he is our saviour, he is our Lord. God starts this, this whole revelation, the whole book of Revelation, he starts it with this vision of Jesus. Because more than anything else, we need to know who Jesus truly is. King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's worship him together this morning. If, um, if you're fairly new to hearing about Jesus and to knowing the faith, then this morning you've heard about how awesome and terrifying Jesus is. And it is totally true. But the beautiful part of the story that we celebrate as well, and which we see in the songs, is that this Jesus died on the cross to take our sin, to take our brokenness, to take the evil that is part of our lives. Jesus has taken the judgment for it. And if we choose to follow him, choose to trust him, choose to put our lives into his hands, then we are free from it for all eternity. And this terrifying, awesome Lord is our Great hope.
and our great carer who's with us in all of life. 